Welcome back. Happy Monday and happy week to you lovely listeners. Today I've edited Dragnet, an absolute classic. Dragnet is an iconic American radio series brought to life by the cases of Sergeant Joe Friday, a dedicated detective from the Los Angeles Police Force and his trusted partners. The name of the show itself, Dragnet, was derived from the police term that refers to a well-coordinated system used to catch criminals and suspects. Considered as one of the most renowned and influential police procedural dramas in the history of media, Dragnet provided its audience with a genuine sense of the monotony and hard work as well as the peril and heroism involved in police work. The show received acclaim for its ability to improve the public perception of police officers. Actor and producer Jack Webb had a clear vision for Dragnet. He aimed for realism and authentic acting. He successfully achieved both objectives, making Dragnet a significant influence on subsequent police dramas across various forms of media. The cultural impact of Dragnet is so profound that even after seven decades, certain elements of the show are recognizable to those who have never actually watched or listened to it. The haunting forno introduction, accompanied by a brass and timpana in the theme music titled Danger Ahead, composed by Walter Schumann, is instantly recognizable. Interestingly, this melody was adapted from Miklos Rosa's score for the 1946 film adaptation of The Killers. Another trademark of Dragnet is its opening narration, which begins with the iconic line, Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Although this narration underwent minor revisions over time, it still left a lasting impact. Variations of this narration have been featured in subsequent crime dramas and even parodies, often using the phrase, only the facts have been changed to protect the guilty. The radio series served as the foundation for the expansive Dragnet media franchise, which includes films, television shows, books, and comics. And today, you lovelies, I get to share two highly edited episodes. There was a lot to change and update in these two, but totally worth it. Of Dragnet episode one and two. Your tales are The Nickel Plated Gun and The Waitresses Robbed. I hope you have a great time listening. Enjoy. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet! Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, this is the story of your police force in action. Dragnet! It was Tuesday, March 25th. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide. Detectives in Los Angeles work in pairs. My partner's Ben Romero. He's a sergeant, so am I. My name's Friday. 
The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. I was on the way back from the record bureau, and it was 13 minutes past 11 when I got to room 42. Homicide. That's a hot shot. Somebody grab it. I got it, Ed. At 1245 East Doheny Street, two officers shot. At 1245 East Doheny Street, Street. two officers shot. What have you got, Friday? Read it. Two officers shot. Where's Romero? Right here, Skewer. Okay, you've got one to roll on. Get going. Both Ben and I knew where we were heading. We'd recognized the address. It was the Trapdoor Cafe, a joint in the south end of town that did business with a pretty rough crowd. Thirteen minutes later, we pulled up in front. Two patrolmen had the crowd pretty well pushed back. There was a cruiser car in front of the cafe. The car door was open, and an officer was sprawled across the seat. He was conscious but weak, and one of his pant legs was pretty red. Hello, Sergeant. Hi. How you doing? I've done better. Yeah, well, what happened? Williams and I were cruising. We've been keeping an eye on this cafe lately. Tonight, we decided to take a look. And just as we went in, two guys left in a hurry. The back door. We followed them out into the alley. It was dark out there, and I called to them. I said, hey, fellas, just a minute, I want to talk to you. They stopped? I'll see. One of them whirled. He had a gun in his left hand. He shot both of us. Left hand, huh? Williams went down and out. I went down, but I took a shot at him. No effect. And I started crawling out here to the car so I could crawl in. You started crawling? Yeah. Wait a minute, Emerson. Weren't there any people around by that time? Uh, yeah, quite a few ran out after the shots. You mean nobody would help you to the car? That's right. Did you get a good look at either of the gunmen? Well, one of them was tall. I think he was a redhead. There was something funny about his nose. That's all I saw. It's too dark out there. Williams was closer. I think he got a good look. You know, the other officer, Williams, is in pretty bad shape. Is he breathing? He's still alive, Emerson. I don't know how much time he's got. Ambulance? On the way. Okay, let's round up all the men who are in the cafe. We're taking them in. We took all the men back to the city hall. There were 23 in the trapdoor cafe at the time of the shooting. We questioned all of them. One of them said there had been a redhead in the place, but he couldn't describe him. Ben and I left the interrogation room, and we went back to the squad room. Friday, Romero. Got a minute? Yeah, Ed. Come on, Ben. Mm. Sit down. Okay. You got anything from those people you questioned? Nothing we could use. Mm. How's Williams? Pretty bad. When do they operate? As soon as he comes out of shot. Probably in the morning. You boys will be there. Yeah, we will. When the surgeon digs that slug out, get it and mark it for evidence. Yeah. Skipper, them two men shot without asking any questions. They must be hot. Yeah. Same thing occurred to me. When we get that slug, the ballistics can tell us whether that gun's been used on other jobs. We got enough of their modus operandi to have the statistician give us a run through on the IBM now. One of them is left-handed, and he shoots quick. Okay, be in surgery tomorrow morning at 9. <laughs> Neither Ben or I said much on the way home, but we were both thinking the same thing. I knew the chief was thinking it, too. Here were two men who'd shot a couple of police officers without asking any questions. Now, I suppose you've heard a lot of stories about what the force thinks of cop killers. Sure, we don't like to lose our friends and partners any better than anybody else would. Why not figure it this way? 
If these two guys would gun a couple of armed police officers, do you think they'd hesitate to shoot you, the unarmed citizen? The next morning at 9 o'clock, Ben and I had scrubbed up and we were in surgery. Williams was on the table. The surgeon started in. A lot of minutes later, he got the slug. As for Williams... They took out seven feet of his intestine and said he might pull through. Joe, here's the report from ballistics. Slug they took out of Williams come from a 44 Smith & Wesson. The same gun was used in a liquor store killing about a month ago. You call the statistician? Yeah, uh-huh. She's running all the cards on previous shooting through the IBM machine. She ought to be through about now. Let's take a look. Okay, come on. Hi, Helen. Just second. Okay. Well, that's it, boys. Those cards will give you all the shootings pulled by two men on foot who shot quick, one of them left-handed. Right. They're all yours. You sure can tell a lot from just a bunch of little holes in these cars, can't you? Hmm. I can't, but this IBM machine can. It never ceases to amaze me. Okay, shall we check the cards, huh? Yeah, sure, sure. Wait a minute, Ben. Here we are. Huh? Yeah. Here's that liquor store killing ballistics tied the Smith & Wesson in on. Same gun that Emerson Williams was shot with? Oh, it checks out. The liquor store was in the same neighborhood as the Trapdoor Cafe. Same gun, huh? Got to be. How long ago? A month ago, yeah. Ben, take the DR number off this card and let's pull the crime report on that job. We pulled the crime report out of the files. It said that there was only one witness to that liquor store killing a month ago. That witness was a woman. Miss Forbes, sorry to disturb you like this, but we'd like to ask some questions about that liquor store killing you witness a little over a month ago. Well, I told the police everything I knew about it then. Yeah, we know, but maybe you wouldn't mind telling us again, huh? Oh, no, I guess not. I, I've been trying to forget it to tell the truth. It was terrible, and I really didn't see so very much because I was awful scared. I understand, but try to describe again just what happened, will you? Well, it was about 10 o'clock at night. I was walking down the street toward home when I re realized I was all out of cigarettes. Well, I was right in front of the liquor store then, so I went in. The clerk was behind the counter, and there were two men standing there arguing. What's the idea of changing your mind? I thought we was going to get bourbon. No, let's get the wine. I want bourbon. Cost too much. Wine's good enough. The rest of them want bourbon, too. We better talk. Well, okay. We'll be back when we make up our mind, mister. The two men walked out of the store, and the clerk smiled at me and shrugged his shoulders. I bought a pack of cigarettes and turned to leave. But just then, the two men came back in again, and each of them had a gun in his hand. There's a stick-up, mister. The clerk just sort of crumpled to the floor. I couldn't believe my eyes, but that's just how it happened. The men said this was a stick-up, and then they shot him right away. Get over against the wall, lady, or you'll get the same. One of them punched a no-stay on the cash register. I was shaking, so I almost caved in. He scooped the money out of the drawer and stuffed it into his pocket. And then... And the other one went over to where the liquor clerk was lying, face down. Knelt down beside the clerk and put his gun against the clerk's spine. And they both ran out of the store. It was terrible. That clerk, he was lying there, helpless, wounded me. He delivered Yeah, oh, Miss Forbes, I understand. Oh, Miss Forbes, uh, you said that both of the men had guns. Yeah. One of the guns was black and the other was sort of, sort of fancy looking. What do you mean, Miss Forbes? 
Well, it was real shiny. Nickel plate? I wouldn't know about that, but it was shiny. There were two guns, huh? Yes. Well, now about the men themselves. I was so scared their faces just didn't register with me. The one who who shot the clerk in the back was sort of stocky. About the best I can do. You mentioned in the report that one of the men was left-handed. Yes, I do remember that. Uh Uh-huh. Look, Miss Forbes, this is very important to us. One of the men was a redhead? Redhead? I know, I didn't see any redhead. Skipper, me and Joe's run right smack into a stone wall on this thing. What's the complication? Well, there's more than one, Ed. In the first place, we know that the 44 Smith & Wesson was used in both shootings. But the descriptions of the men involved don't check. Police officer Emerson said he thought the man that, uh... Uh, that shot him and Williams outside the trapdoor cafe was a tall, left-handed redhead. Said there's something funny about his nose. You think Williams got a better look at him? Probably did, but Williams isn't strong enough to talk yet. And the girl that witnessed the liquor store killing a month ago said that one of those men was left-handed. But she said neither of them was a redhead. And on top of all that, now we've got two guns to worry about. The girl mentioned two guns, so we checked the autopsy report on that liquor clerk. And, Ed, the bullet that actually killed him came from a thirty-two twenty. Not a 44 Smith & Wesson. That fact didn't get any publicity at the time, did it? No, it didn't. Okay. We won't give it any publicity now, either. We'll lie down. It's just the 44 Smith & Wesson we're after. Because if whoever owns the 3220 finds out it's hot, we'll never get it. Anything else? Well, we sent teletypes to all outland stations in neighboring cities. Told them if they get any red-headed suspects, no matter what charge they got them on, to hold them for questioning. Yeah. Now, how about this thirty-two twenty, the actual murder weapon? Any leads on it? We've got one, Ed. We've been checking the records, and we discovered that four hours after the liquor store killing, a taxi driver in the neighborhood was shot and robbed. The slug was pretty well mashed, but there was enough to tell it was from a thirty-two twenty. So we're going over to question the taxi driver now. Good. Well, I think you boys are on the right trail. So far, what we've got is mostly unrelated facts, but sooner or later, those facts have all got to tie in at some point along the line. Find that point. Yeah, find the point. Find the tie-in. Well, Ben and I went over to see the taxi driver, a guy who was living on borrowed time. Yeah, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning when it happened. I got a call to pick up a fare near 105th and Avalon, you know. Yeah. Well, I got there, somebody came over, pulled up my cab door and said, This is a stick-up. Then blow it, you let me have it. Just like that, huh? Yeah, just like that. Same deal as others, Joe. Itchy trigger finger. Yeah. Did you get any kind of a look at the fella? No, no. It's too dark. Uh-huh. Hey, um, according to the report, you got shot in the chest. Yeah, that's right. Oh, you're maybe wondering how come I'm still alive, huh? I'll tell you, pal. It's like something you'd see in a bad movie, you know? You know, I'm carrying a few silver dollars with me. Nine of them, to be exact. So I decided to stick them in my breast pocket. Well, mister, that just saved my life. The slug hit them silver dollars. One for the book, huh? Yeah, you said it. Well, thanks very much. Say, incidentally, we had a little trouble finding you today. You weren't at the stand you operated out of last month. Oh, look, look, I, I'm not only not at my usual stand, I'm not driving a hack no more. Oh? Look, after what happened, are you kidding? No, I don't want to push my luck any further than it's been pushed. Yeah, I figure I had it, you know? And about that time, Ben and I were beginning to figure we'd had it. We were getting nowhere fast. We had a few informants nosing around, but so far they hadn't come up with any leads. 
Well, Ben and I followed up all the teletypes that poured in. We just got back from Santa Ana where we'd been questioning a red-headed suspect and we'd flopped in the squad room when Chief Backstrand's door opened. Friday, Romero. Got a minute? Yes, Kim. Any luck with the Santa Ana redheads? No, none at all. I guess you haven't heard the latest. We just now got back in town, Steve. Early this morning, another cab driver got shot. What? Yeah. Man came up to his taxi, opened the door, said, this is a stick-up, and shot him. Well, it went through one leg and then the other, but the driver managed to start his cab and drove over to a cafe. He called in from there. Uh, boys recovered the slug? Yeah. It came from the same 44 Smith and Weston that was used in the other two jobs. The cab driver get a look at the gunman? Yeah, briefly. Was it the redhead? No. Well, the stocky guy. He wasn't redheaded and he wasn't stocky. All the driver knows. That's great. Skipper, this is beginning to sound like a guns-a-month club. You reckon somebody's renting them guns out? Well, they're passing the guns around all right, but I think they're working together. The way they operate indicates that. Yeah, the trigger happy routine. Killing is apparently more than a business to them. It's pleasure, too. That's why we've got to get to them fast. Come over here. All right. Come on, Ben. Here. Take a look at this map. Uh-huh. There's the trapdoor cafe. And over here's the liquor store. Down here is where the first cab driver got shot. Mm-hmm. And here's where the second one got it. Mm. All of the shootings have taken place within an area of ten square blocks. Okay. Tonight we're going to throw a blockade around that whole area. Good. It'll go into effect at 10 p.m. At 9.45 p.m., cars and officers started drifting into the area by twos and threes. At a 10, when Backstrand, Ben, and I arrived, the whole area was sewed up tighter than a tick. All set? All set. We've got a primary line and a secondary line. If anyone tries to make a break, we'll pick him up in the secondary. Okay. Friday and Romero here will cruise around the area with me. Go to work, man. Every car in the area was shaken down. The same process was also followed on all persons on foot. The blockade went on all night. By the end of that time, we'd brought in 217 suspects. 26 of them were redheads. What's your name? Henry Wagner. Where do you work? Lumber Yard. Which one? First time. What time did you get through work last night? About six, I guess. What'd you do then? At some dinner. Where? Uh, Harry's Grill. And what? Shot a little pool. Look, I tell you, I'm done nothing. Now, uh, let's go back to the day before yesterday. And that's the way it went all day long. We shot question after question at them, working them gradually back to the days on which the shootings had taken place. When it was all over, we got six men wanted in other cities on various charges. We got quite an assortment of guns and knives. You two boys better go on home to some sleep. But what sleep might have overlooked something. I said go on home. You two boys have been at it for 32 hours straight. Look at you. Both so groggy you can hardly stand up. You need sleep. That's, uh... 4 p.m. now. Don't come back until 10 p.m. When I walked into the squad room at 10, Ben was already there. An informant had just phoned in a new lead. He told Ben he'd heard about a gang that had been hanging out down around the DeVere bungalow court in the south end of town. We knew that the DeVere was close to the trapdoor cafe, so we went over to talk to the manager. Joe, I've been meaning to ask you. Uh, you checked on how Williams is getting along? Yeah, I did. I called the hospital this afternoon. It's going to be all right. Oh, that's fine. Here we are. Yeah, manager's office. Still got a line on. 
Yeah? I'm Sergeant Friday, police. This is Sergeant Romero. Yeah? We'd like a little information. Why, sure. Come in. Thank you. What can I do for you? Well, did you hear anything about a gang that hangs out down around here anywhere? Gang? Why, no. How about your tenants here? Any of them ever been in trouble, to your knowledge? No. This ain't exactly the best neighborhood in town, but we try to keep things under control. Once in a while, one of them will get out of line, but when that happens, we heave them out of here. You heaved anybody out lately? Yeah, I did. Phone his wife a few weeks ago. They had a fight in one of the bungalows. She took a shot at him, but she missed. Party by the name of Stuba, Carl Stuba. What did this Stuba look like? Oh, sort of tall, skinny. Was he a redhead? No. Now, we'd like to take a look at that bungalow that he lived in. Sure, sure. Help yourselves. Down the end there, number five. Still vacant. Well, I guess that does it. Stuba didn't leave a thing behind. Matter of fact, we don't have anything to prove that this Stuba's tied in at all. We're only working on a hunch. Hey, Joe, look. Where? Up on the wall there, just for the window. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that plaster there, it's newer than the rest. You got a knife? I sure have, boy, and I'm carving. That manager would be awful unhappy with me if he was here. Yeah, he would. Yeah, my... Hey, Joe, here it is. A slug. They plastered right over. Okay, dig it out and let's hope it matches. It matched. The slug from the wall came from the same 44 Smith & Wesson that had been used in the other shootings. So now we had a name to work on, Carl Stuba. But he'd done a good job of dropping out of sight. Well, the next day, Ben thought he had another lead. Just been talking to another informant, Joe. He says he heard that there's a fella down in that neighborhood been trying to sell a gun lately. What kind of a gun? Nickel plated with steer horn handle. Nickel plated. Maybe that's our 44 Smith & Wesson. Maybe. Did the informant know who this man was? Said the fella's name was Alonzo. Yeah. Alonzo who? Just Alonzo. That's all he knew. So now we had two names, Stuba and Alonzo, but no men to go with him. So we went back to making the rounds of the substations, interviewing red-headed suspects. We took a few of them to Williams, who was home from the hospital by now, but he couldn't identify any of them as the man who shot him. Still, we kept checking. Finally, we got around to the 77th Street station. We questioned the suspects they were holding there, and we just started to leave when one of the officers called us. Hey, Sarge, yeah. we're holding somebody else you might want to look at. Redhead? No. What's the choice? Suspicion of burglary? Small gap. Oh, I don't know. What do you think, Ben? What's special about him? He lives in the same neighborhood where those shootings took place. All right. Where you got him? Down here. You admit anything? No. He's pretty surly. Here we are. Thanks. Hi. What do you want? I'm Sergeant Friday. This is Sergeant Romero. We'd like to ask you a few questions. Look, I already told the other cops all I know. I didn't steal my radio from that jerk. What's your name? We've been through all that once. Come on, what's your name? Jackson. Alonzo Jackson. Alonzo. I looked at Ben and Ben looked at me. This could be the Alonzo who had been trying to peddle that Smith & Wesson. Ben and I both knew here was one suspect we'd have to be real careful with. Lonzo, uh, 
According to the records, this burglary you're suspected of took place on the night of the 27th. Look, how many times do I have to tell you guys they didn't have anything to do with it? You got an alibi for that night? Sure, I got an alibi. I was out with a couple of friends. They can tell you. What's your friend's name, Londo? One of them's Cranley and the Stuber. Stuber, the guy who used to live in the bungalow court. Well, we told Alonzo he'd have to produce his two friends to give him an alibi for the burglary charge, and he bit. He went with us, and he pointed out where Stuba was living now. I've been able to find him. It was a little shack at the back of a lot. We thought it was a chicken first. We took Alonzo back to the station, and we picked up Stuba. He was surprised to see us and not very happy. We took him in. Next, Alonzo gave us Crandall's address. Yeah? Mr. Crandall in? No. Will he be back soon? I don't know. Who are you? Sergeant Friday, Sergeant Romero, police. What do you want with him? Oh, nothing important, lady. We just wanted him as a witness. Oh. Well, I don't know just when he'll be back. Probably an hour or two. Okay, thanks. We went down the street away, and we staked out in the car. We sat there for about five hours, and then Ben nudged me in the ribs. Hey, Joe. Huh? Joe, take a look. Coming along the sidewalk. Yeah. And he's got red hair. Come on. Crandall. Huh? Your name Crandall? Who are you? Friday Romero, police. Police? What do you want with me? I, I haven't done nothing. Well, then you got nothing in the world to worry about. Come on. <laughs> We questioned Crandall for an hour, but he wouldn't give an inch. Denied everything. Then we put him in a car and we drove over to Officer Williams' house. I left Ben in the living room with Crandall while I went in Williams' bedroom. Oh, Sarge. Hi, Williams. How you doing? Yeah, a little better, honey. It's fine. Look, we've got another redhead outside. <laughs> Bring him in. Okay. All right, Crandall, come on in here. Who's in there? Why'd you bring me over here? Come on in here. That's the guy. No, that's right, honey. No, yeah. I, it, it was an accident. I mean, to shoot him, it was an accident. Once Crandall got started, he talked his head off. He also admitted being in on the liquor store killing, but insisted he was only the lookout. We took him back to the station and got his whole story down on a tape recorder. Yeah, he was left-handed. Then we went back to Alonzo and know we had Crandall's confession. We met the chief in the hall outside the room where they were holding Alonzo. About ready to tell enough? Oh, I hope so, chief. But Alonzo hasn't given any yet. And we still haven't found those guns. We've got one of them. Which one? The Smith and Wesson. Stuba popped about that one ten minutes ago. Said he left it with his girl. A couple of the boys are on their way over to get it now. That's good, Ed. That leaves just the 3220. You've mentioned the 3220 to Alonzo, have you? No. He still thinks we're after that Smith and Wesson, and that's the way we're going to play it right now. Go ahead. Look, how much longer are you guys going to hold me here? Didn't you check with those friends of mine? Well, so we got a tip that you've been trying to sell a gun lately. A gun? Yeah, 44 Smith & Wesson. Oh. No, it's not true. That Smith & Wesson's been using a couple of robbery jobs this month, and we think it's your gun. That's a lie. Any proof of that? Why, yeah. Sure, I got proof of that. Uh, I used to have a gun, but it wasn't a Smith & Wesson. Look. If I tell you where it is, that ought to convince you, shouldn't it? It'll help things. Okay. I sold it to a neighbor of mine. He gave me seven bucks. I'll give you his address. You sure it's not a Smith & Wesson? Sure, I'm sure. It's a 3220. 
worked. We went to the neighbor's address, and he admitted having bought the thirty-two twenty, but said he'd lent it to a friend who'd never returned it. The friend had hocked the gun to a barber. The barber gave him 15 bucks and a haircut for it. We finally got it from the barber, and we came back to the station. I'm all set, Joe. I'll be in the next room. Just give me the nod. Okay. Hello, Alonzo. Hey, you got the gun. Yeah, we got the gun. Well, now maybe you'll believe I'm on the level. Okay, if I go now? I guess we won't be able to hold you here much longer. You can say that again, brother. You're going to save a lot of time for you to listen to what I've been trying to tell you all along. I guess you're right, Alonzo. Sure, I'm right. You know, you guys would be a lot better off if you believe guys like me the first time we tell you something. Instead of running. I was on the lookout. I was outside. Huh? It was the other two who pulled that one. Huh? Stuber and Alonzo. Alonzo killed the clerk. Hold it, Alonzo. Hold it, Alonzo. Alonzo, that's enough. Now, come on. How about it? What's the use? All right. That's like you said. Okay, Ben, bring the recorder in here. Alonzo's ready to make a record now. <laughs> By playing back Crandall's statement that we'd recorded earlier, we got a full confession from Alonzo. We took the three of them out and had them reenact the four shootings, and we photographed it on sound film. Crandall, the redhead, was the one who'd shot the two police officers, but he was only the lookout for the liquor store killing, which explains why the girl witness didn't see him in the store. Stuba and Alonzo were the ones who pulled that job, and Alonzo, the worst of the bunch, was the one who put the 3220 against the spine of the wounded clerk. The three of them took turns at shooting the cab drivers and robbing them. That accounted for the mixed-up descriptions, including all that left-handed business. Two of the three suspects happened to be left-handed. Well, that was the crop. Crandall Alonzo Stuba. Four shootings, three robberies, four attempted murders, one murder. The three men were tried and convicted. They're all in the state penitentiary. Crandall's there for life. Alonzo and Stuba, they'll be executed next week. File it, will you, Ben? The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. You have just heard the second in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of C.B. Horrell, Chief of Police, Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Radio Officer Delmer E. Cook of the Los Angeles Police Department, who, on the afternoon of December 6, 1948, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. NBC brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to robbery detail. There's a potential killer on the loose in your city. Eighteen women have been beaten and robbed by this man. The newspapers call him the werewolf. 
Your job is to get him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime, investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files from beginning to end, from crime to punishment. Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday morning, February 2nd. It was raining in Los Angeles. We were working the early morning watch out of robbery detail. Detectives in Los Angeles work in pairs. My partner's Ben Romero. He's a sergeant, and so am I. My name's Friday. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. I was on the way back from the teletype room, and it was 3 a.m. when I got to room 27A. Robbery detail. Hi, Ben. What's up? Keep your coat on, Joe. Just got a hot shot call. Coming, Skipper? Right behind you. Let's go, Freddy. Well, what was it, Ed? Another woman robbed, almost beaten to death. Well, how many does that make? About 18 in six weeks. Is that right, Skipper? Yeah, 18 too many. Come on down these stairs to the garage. Yeah. What about that suspect we had, Ed? You mean Martin? Yeah. Had to release him this morning. I got a good tail on him, Henderson. Yeah. We got any reports yet? Nothing definite to hold him for. Here's the garage. Let's hustle it. Right. Then if this isn't Martin's job, Skipper, and he's not the right man... Then we start all over again, and we work night and day till we find the right man. Here's the car. Let's go. Ben, you drive. Yeah, all right. How do the victims describe this guy, Ed? Pretty sketchy. Supposed to be tall, dark, long black hair. Last woman said he had a face like an animal. Something like a dog. Like a dog. A wolf. A wolf? Yeah. She said... Something like a werewolf. Something like a werewolf. We almost had to be that, judging from the way he operated. He was either an animal or a raving maniac. One thing we were sure of, he was smart and he was dangerous. For almost two months, he prowled the streets in a stolen car in the early morning, usually between 3 and 5 a.m., and the victims were always lone women. Most of them waitresses coming to work or going home. He dragged them into the car, robbed them, beat them until they were unconscious, and then throw the body out into the street. That's just what we found when we pulled up to the curb near the corner of 8th and Grand. One cruiser car was already there, and so was the ambulance. About a dozen people were standing around looking at the crumpled figure of a woman sprawled out on the sidewalk. Two officers were talking to the only witness, the thin, sallow-faced newsboy. His story didn't give us much to go on. Like I was telling these cops, sir, or these officers, sir, I was walking up 8th Street on my way home as usual when I see this blue Chevy sedan pull up down a block there a little way and dump out the dame's body. But actually, I, I don't know what to think. You got to look at the license plate? Well, well, no, I didn't. I the truth, I could hardly keep them. Well, I was just plain scared. Mm-hmm. Well, what did you do after you saw him throw the body out, huh? Well, I just stood there for a minute and the fellow in the car drove right on past me. Did you get a look at him? I sure did. How close were you when he drove past? Well, no, it couldn't have been more than, well, eight or ten feet away. Uh, I was right over there by the street light near the curb. Would you know this man if you saw him again? I don't know about his height or his build or his weight, but, mister, his face I'll never forget. Why do you say that? It was just like the paper says about him. Right, right here on the front page. Here, read it. See? Woman says the attacker looked like werewolf. 
That's all the newsboy could tell us. The suspect drove a blue sedan. He had a face like a werewolf. We covered the neighborhood for clues, and we questioned a dozen people, but we got nowhere. We took the witness's name and address, and we drove down a couple of blocks to an all-night gas station. 14 hour, I'll I'm going in here and call the office and see if Anderson's called in on Martin. We might still have a suspect. All right, Skipper. Mm. Looks as mad as a wet hornet, doesn't he, Joe? Yeah. Did you get a good look at that woman's face when they moved her in the ambulance? Yeah. Or does like to mess them up. Oh, I don't know how we're going to get him, Ben, but we better do it fast. Next time, it'll probably be murder. Well, here comes the Skipper, Joe. Uh-oh. Doesn't look good. What is it, Ed? <clears throat> Just talk to Henderson. He tailed Martin to a bar in Long Beach. He hasn't been out of his sight for two minutes since yesterday. Martin's clear. And we're right back where we started. Yeah, with one more half-dead woman in the hospital. Oh, well, how about that stolen car, Skip? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Get that radio off. Okay. Code 3, ambulance dispatched. Attention, all units. On Grand Avenue between Venice and Washington, a woman, victim of robbery and attack. Code 3, ambulance detached. Code 3, red light and siren. Come on, Friday, let's roll. We couldn't be sure, but it sounded like another one. Six minutes later, we were there. Same story. Werewolf. The next day, the chief ordered the number of cruiser cars doubled in the central district. This was for the early morning watch with plain clothesmen to back them up. Then the newspapers played it big. In two days, the story was on the front page of every paper in town. Maybe that should have made the werewolf lay low, but it didn't. Because at 4 o'clock that morning, while Ben and I were patrolling with the other cars, he got his 20th victim. Attention, all units. Prettier between Soto and Matthews. A woman, victim of 211 and a pad. Code 3. Ambulance dispatched. Here's a report on that blue sedan he used the other night, Joe. Found it out on Anaheim Telegraph Road. Any luck with it? Not one fingerprint we can use. Anything else? Nothing. Well, how about the auto theft detail? Same old story, Joe. He steals a car, uses it once, and then drops it. Never leaves a thing behind. Well, that's great. We're sure moving fast. How about that big guy you picked out of the lineup this morning? Oh, I checked his alibi. It's perfect. Hmm. Now we haven't got even half a clue. Yeah. Well, come on. Let's check with Eddie. He's instructing the police women on the plan for tonight. I've heard the report. You understand how the suspect operates and what you're to do. Right. Remember, all of you forget you were ever policewomen. Change the way you walk, the way you carry yourselves. That's the part you're playing, all right? Yeah. And be careful and don't take any chances. All right, Fred. Okay, Ed. Now, just to make sure you look the part, we're spotting each one of you at different restaurants and coffee shops throughout the central district. And from 7 o'clock tonight until daylight tomorrow, each one of you is going to be a waitress. You got that? Okay, Ben, you want to give them their assignments? Okay, Joe. Well, here's the way it lines up. Marge Kissel at the Top Hat Cafe. That's on 9th Street between Alvarado and Westlake. Okay. And Katie Wells, Joe's Coffee House, Brooklyn Soto. Right. Pat Fielding at the all-night steakhouse on Figueroa Street between... Park no, the trick of using decoys to lure criminals into a trap wasn't exactly new, but, well, it was just one of the old tricks that we figured might land the werewolf behind bars. At 7 that night, Ben and I made the rounds and found each of the police women on her job as a waitress. Well, the overall plan was simple. The girls were to leave the different restaurants between 3 and 5 a.m. that morning, pretend they were walking home. We mapped different courses for each one of them to throw out as much bait as possible and yet not to make it look suspicious. Each policewoman, from the time she left the restaurant, 
and stepped out into the deserted streets would be pretty much on her own. We had officers planted all along the way at designated intervals, but a big element of chance and danger was still there. All we could do was cross our fingers and hold. How much more time, Joe? Let me see. She's doing two minutes. Yeah. Waiting gets on your nerves. Well, it won't be long. This corner doorway's pretty good lookout for us. Yeah. Wait a minute. Listen. Who is it, Joe? Can you see? Get back. What is it? Wait a minute. It's Marge Kissel. There's a man following her. A big guy. If it's the werewolf, where's his car? I don't know. Maybe he changed his plans. Get back. Here they come. You get a look at him, Joe? Oh, pretty good. Not too suspicious. Might be coincidence. Well, I got a pretty good lead. Come on, let's go. Stay back in the shadows. Hey, Joe. Hmm? So where'd the guy go to? I lost him. The little coffee shop up in the next corner, see? Take a look. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's opening the door. He's turning on the lights. Yeah. Looks like a fault farm, Joe. Well, let's check him anyway. Well, I didn't think we'd be that lucky on the first try, and we weren't. We asked the man a few questions. It didn't take him long to show us he wasn't our man. He owned the coffee shop. We covered that ten-block course six times that morning, back and forth, following the bait, but it was almost as if the guy could sense a trap. Not once did we get a nibble. By the time our last decoy finished the route, it was almost daylight. Joe, I never was so glad to see that sun come up in my whole life. My feet feel like they're puffing right up out of my shoes. Yeah, me too. Come on, let's get over to the car and check on the other squad out in Boyle Heights. Huh? Oh. Hit the radio, will you, Ben? Yeah. Sure, there must be some easier job on the force than that. Yeah, you and me both. Now, let's see what happens to the others, huh? 80K to Unit 104K. Come in. 104K to Unit 80K. Go ahead. 104K, this is Friday. You do any good out there? This is Miller. I'll call Curtis. Stand by. 80K to 104K, Roger. What do you think? Don't make you a buy? I don't know. Oh, this guy seems to work like a mind reader. Well, he can't win all of them. 104K to Unit 80K. This is Curtis. Go ahead. This is Friday, Al. How'd you do out there? Any luck? Just checked in the last gal, Joe. Katie Welch, not a sign. Okay, Al. Have the men check in. 80K clear. KGPO. Okay, let's go, Ben. When we finally got back to the office that morning, both Ben and I were ready for some sleep, but it didn't look like we were going to get it. We were just about finished going through the overnight reports for some kind of a lead when the phone rang. Robbery Friday. Hi, Joe. This is Wilkerson, Auto Theft. Hi, Wilkie. You got something for us? Not much, Joe, but it might work into something. Just got a report in on a pair of stolen license plates. Oh? How come? I don't know. Maybe just a hunch. After 13 years in this business, you get to know thieves pretty well. Sometimes you got to even think like them. Okay, Wilkie, thanks. We'll check by in a couple minutes. Right, Joe. What do you have to say? Pair of license plates stolen last night. Wilkie's got a hunch it could have been our man. That might be an angle, Joe. If that werewolf guy'd hang on to one car long enough, we'd have a chance at him. Uh, he's too smart for that. I don't know, Joe. Sooner or later, he's going to make a mistake. Yeah. Come on, let's check with Wilkie. Well, we checked with Wilkerson. We got the best piece of news we'd had in days. On the average, 95% of stolen cars are recovered or located within 24 hours. In the remaining 5%, Wilkerson, by a simple process of elimination, narrowed down the number of cars the suspect might be driving. Wilkie figured six cars. There they are. 
Now, Betcher, if you picked up your man tonight, he'd be in one of these cars. Let me see, huh? Two-door black sedan, yellow convertible, another sedan, green, blue coupe, black coupe, and a gray convertible. Plus, good work, Wilson. At least we got something to look for now. Yeah, you're right, Joe. Uh, Wilson, you got the numbers of those stolen plates you're talking about? Yeah, right here, Ben. They're already on the hot seat. Good. Keep it posted, huh? As usual, Ben. See you later, Wilson. That's a good break, Ben. Something to keep us busy tonight. Tonight? What do you mean? We're setting another trap. Same thing as last night. Same police women. Same everything. Yeah. Only this time, let's hope he steps into it. You know, Joe, this werewolf character is getting me mad. That night, we followed in our own footsteps. We planted the police women decoys in three separate districts. And a few minutes before 3 a.m., our squad of men took up their positions. The same police women went to their waitress jobs in the same restaurant. Ben and I and the rest of the men stood in darkened doorways or empty filling stations or whatever cover we could find. And we waited and waited. What time is it, Joe? Let me look. Half past four. Mm, thanks. Any sign, Joe? No, nothing yet. Come on, stay in the shadows. That's the way it went all through the early morning. The same plan over and over again until daylight. Ben and I had check in at the station, go over the late stolen car reports with Wilkie, catch a few hours sleep at home, and then come back and do it all over again. The next night, the next morning, the night after that, and the morning after that. Five days later, Ben and I were ready to call it quits. I'll admit it, Joe, I can't figure. The guy's either psychic or else he can smell a cop a mile away. Yeah, well, at least we got that stolen car angle left. You checked with Wilkie yet this morning? I'll give him a call now. All right. Hello, Seth Wilkerson. This is Ben, Wilkie. Got anything for us this morning? Yeah, I was just going to call you. You fellas ought to let me solve your cases for you. Why? What'd you get? The boys picked up three of those six stolen cars since late yesterday. Great. Now, what does that leave us with? I hear the three still missing. Yeah. Four X-ray seven six three. Yeah. Five six young three four two. Uh-huh. Six one Robert three eight five. Yeah. Got those? Yeah. Thank you, Wilkie. Uh, check you later. Good news. Remember those six missing cars? Yeah. Wilkie says the boys found three of them since late yesterday. Here's what's still out: the blue coupe, the yellow convertible, and the gray convertible. Yeah. Well, this feels like the right track for a change, Ben. Righty, Romero, got a minute? Sure thing, Skipper. Come on, sir. What do you got, Ed? Woman up in Hollywood just called in with this. She said she walked down to the corner from her house last night to mail the letter. On the way back, a guy pulled up in the car and tried to drag her inside. Any description? Big, heavy, set, dark, same thing. Well, how'd she get away from him, Skip? She said she started running as soon as he made a motion toward her. When he saw her run up the steps of her house, he jumped back in the car and took off. Well, how come she didn't call in before then? She hasn't got a phone. She's ready to leave the house again this morning. Sounds good, Chief. You got her address there? Yes, sir. Mrs. Tom Burdick, 1237 Wilcox, apartment 10. Come on, Ben. This might be what we're looking for. Who is it? Who's there? Sergeant Friday, ma'am. Police. I'm Sergeant Romero, Miss Burdick. This is my partner, Sergeant Fry. We come out to check on your call about that little trouble last night. Oh, well, I don't know if I'm going to be much help to you. 
I was so frightened about all I could do was just run. Well, could you add anything to the man's description, Miss Burdick? I mean, other than what you told the chief on the phone? Well, no. Honestly, I don't think I can. All I saw was this tall, dark man jumping out of his car and starting for me. He had a heavy build and seemed to me, well, a large head. Lots of long black hair. Hmm. Uh, Miss Burdick, uh, would you recognize this man if you ever saw him again? Well, I think I might. He was such an unusually big man, almost frightened me to death. Well, just one more question, Miss Bertie. Could you describe the car this man was driving when he approached you? His car? Mm-hmm. Why, yes. It was a gray convertible. Miss Bertie, are you sure of that? Yes, I'm sure of it. A gray convertible. Thank you, Miss Bertie. That's all we wanted to know. Sometimes when you're on a case, you can chase yourself around in circles for weeks trying to fit together just two little pieces of a yard-long jigsaw puzzle. And a lot of the time, you find the answer where you least expect it. But once you get that feeling you're after the right man in the right way, there's nothing that can shake you. When Ben and I got back to headquarters, we went straight to the chief's office with the story, and we had him stake out the gray convertible. In other words, if any detective or officer spotted the car, he reported it back to us, but he stayed away from it. We figured that there probably weren't more than two of the victims who could take the witness stand and identify the man who robbed and beat them. Not with a smart defense lawyer, anyway. So there was only one way to catch this suspect. Red-handed. Here you are, Joe. Both sets of license numbers for that break convertible. Here's the original, and here's the numbers on the stolen plate. Good. Everybody got a hot sheet? From the chief all the way down to the gym. Fine. Now let's get together with that, huh? Talk, Joe, grab it. I got it. On the corner of California and Oakwood, a woman badly beaten. On the corner of California and Oakwood, a woman badly... Come on, Ben, another one. But, Joe, it's broad daylight. Yeah, doesn't figure, does it? Come on. That vacant lot over it, Joe. Two plain clothesmen and uniformed officers were keeping the crowd back. An ambulance was drawn up to the curb, but it was empty. When we got down to the rear of the lot, we found out why. They were waiting for the coroner. The woman was young, not much more than 30. Her body was half sprawled across the muddy ground, and her face was turned upward. It had been badly beaten. They figured it happened last night, Sergeant. Have the fingerprint men been notified? Yeah. How about the crime lab? Just called them. That's good. Now, let's keep everybody out of the area till they get here. All right, Sergeant. Now, who found the body? One of the kids in the neighborhood. Only was dead when he found her. Did she live around here? About a half mile away. I guess she's got three kids. Or she had three kids. Uh-huh. You seen enough, Ben? Yeah. Let's get on back to headquarters. All the way back to headquarters, Ben and I planned our next move. And by the time we got to Ed Backstrand's office, we knew exactly what had to be done. When we told him about the werewolf murder, he didn't say a thing for a minute. He just stared across the room at the calendar on the wall. Then he brought his hand down hard against the desk. Righty, Romero, I'm only going to say this once, so get it straight. That guy's pulled his last job in this city. He's through robbing and beating women, and he's through with murder. I've given you time to track him down, and now I want him in. No stalls, no excuses, I want him. I don't care how many men you use, and I don't care how you get him, but get him. That's all. Ben and I worked all that afternoon right through dinner, up until 8 o'clock. 
By that time, the overall plan was down on paper and already in action. It was one of the biggest things we'd ever tackled, and, well, we didn't know if it was going to work. We only knew it had to work. We had a squad of 65 cars to stretch out over 40 square miles of the city in one big dragnet. The blockade itself would be stationary most of the time, and working inside it would be two cars, 14 policewomen as decoys, with two plainclothesmen assigned to watch each policewoman. If and when the werewolf was sighted in the gray convertible, we'd automatically take over the police radio for the whole city, and Backstrand would direct the chase from headquarters. A little after eight, we had coffee and hamburgers, and we went to Ben's for a few hours. Ben tucked his kid in bed as usual, and then he laid down for a nap. I talked to his wife until I dozed off in the chair. At 11.30, she woke us up. I combed my hair, put on my coat. Cops' wives are like everybody else's. They worry. When we met Ed at headquarters, we did some last-minute checking on details with Backstrand for about a half an hour, and then we were all ready to go. By five minutes past two, half the Dragnet crew pulled out of the police garage and scattered over the city to their places. By 2.35, the other half pulled out, and a few minutes later, Ben and I followed. At three minutes to three that morning, Backstrand took over communications and checked every car in the operation. It was a good start. Every man in his right place by the right time. The trap was set. All we needed now was to find our suspect, the werewolf, inside. Control 4 to Unit 80K. Control 4 to Unit 80K. 80K to Control 4. Go ahead. This is Backstrand standing by. 80K. Roger. Clear. JGPL. Okay, then. Now let's go find him. I got a hunch, Joe. Let's try the Wilshire district first. Sounds all right to me. Let's go. For the first hour and a half, we raked the Wilshire district back and forth. Not a sign. Then about 38 minutes past four, we headed back to the downtown area and parked in an alley where we could double-check on one of our policewomen decoys. Here comes one of the girls now, Joe. Fat field. That her feet are almost as hard as mine. Yeah. You see anything else, Ben? Nothing. Quiet as a church. No. no. Wait a minute. Hmm? Car just turned the corner. Heading up in the same direction she is. So, George, slowing down. Wait a minute. It's pulling up beside her. It's a great convertible. It's him, Joe. Come on. Ben, down. He sees us. He's got a gun. Yeah, look at that guy take off. 80K to control four. 80K to control four. We've spotted the suspect. He's driving a gray Ford convertible. License 61 Robert 385. Suspect's headed east on Olympic from Alameda. Driving without lights. Suspect is armed. He had a fast car and he knew how to drive it. We almost lost him twice. Two minutes after we sighted him, Backstrand took over full radio control. 80K to Control 4. We're traveling at a high rate of speed, headed east on Olympic, crossing Soto Street. Five cars in the dragnet had pulled in like a noose around a five-mile area. 
Ben and I hoped it was just a matter of time. Unit 80K to Control 4. He's headed north on Fresno Street, crossing Whittier Boulevard. Hey, Ben, up there ahead. What's he trying to do now? Look, he's turning around. Yeah. Yeah, and he's coming right for us. Watch it, Joe. Look out. Pretty close. 80K to control four. Exchanging shots with suspect. Watch it, Ben. Here he comes again. Sure likes to use that gun, Dudley. Sure does. Hey, Joe, look. Huh? Look, he's turning east. He's running for Holland Beck Park. Yeah, 80K to control four. Suspect just drove up over curb and into Holland Beck Park. cops had to do was surround the little fella in the park. Nothing to it, huh? Yeah, that's right, mister. Nothing to it. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. Walter Barton, known as the werewolf, was tried and convicted and is now serving a full life sentence at the state penitentiary. This has been Dragnet, the third in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of C.B. Horrell, Chief of Police, Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Sergeant Mario Victor Dyro of the Los Angeles Police Department who, on the morning of January 1st, 1943, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles.
This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Well, you lovely legends, you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed both your remastered audio dramas today. Two police officers horribly shot in the nickel-plated gun and the crazy nicknamed criminal, the werewolf, busting across the streets of LA to terrorize women. Terribly terrifying, mates. Nothing beats Dragnet when it comes to old-time radio crime, that's for sure. And I hope you enjoyed both these episodes. Now, I want to say a huge thank you to my Patreons that support me. Firstly, my Ode Knight T-Titan, the Colossus that walks amongst us, that smashes a hammer into the ground to send the podcast soaring into the sky. Thank you, Matostar, for being the colossal supporter and friend. I hope you have a kick-ass and wonderful week ahead of you, you brilliant person you, full of cheesecake and all sorts of good food. Thanks to you, I'm able to get the software I use, though, to repair all these old-time radio episodes, and you make it possible to clean audio that really sometimes seems beyond repair. Thank you, man. You're helping me do amazing work. You're a legend. And my pal. Thanks, mate. And Les of Bauer, the man of pure power. I hope you are doing wonderfully, you legend. And thank you so much for your ongoing support. Your donations go straight into today's microphone pop shield. Sometimes pop shields wear and tear and lose their gumption, as it were. But my new one is made of a steel mesh. Nothing a good soak won't fix now, see? The old ones have fabric. This one doesn't even have that issue. So thank you, man, for supporting me and securing this item. You're fantastic. Cheers, my friend and legend. And of course, where would I be without my old grain forces and all my other lovely supporting tiers? I'm lucky to have Chad Warren, Just Heather, Sunshine Days, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffaelli, Michelangelo Yacone, Divided by Zero, Leah Fassig, Alia Arcane, Paige Karema, Jane Gumnick, and Michael Krupp. Thank you, you very kind and special people. If you have listened this long, thank you. And should you want to support me, visit my Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT, where you can support me and what I do on this show. I genuinely love hearing from you lovelies as well. So don't hesitate to reach out to me at any time via my email, which is storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. Now, pour your tea, make it nice, ensure your flavouring is precise. Like a story, let it flow. Let the fables and tales take you home. It's these stories that bring us together and old audio that reminds us of how we've changed. Stay a while, have a listen, and as always, I hope, to see you again. I'll catch you next Monday, you amazing people.